Greetings, ladies and mantle gents, and welcome to this latest edition of Tales, Tales from Outer space. space. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 402 Moving, Moving from, from maintenance, maintenance mode to low awareness. Ah, 317 seconds. Mining Autonomous Machine 78,462 has returned ahead of schedule. Log files indicate machine surface due to megaton level impacts on the surface disrupting mining operations. Upon gaining access to surface machine, encountered heavy combat between unknown species, enemy species, and rebellious machine entities of enemy manufacture. Machine suffered external damage and in addition to damage to grinding array 17. Orbay 4 is nearly overweight. Grinding array servicing Orbay 4 did not process raw material to account for overweight. Overweight occurred after grinding array 17 was damaged. Machine returned to main processing facility for repair and servicing 126.43 years early. More data is needed. Moving to semi-autonomous mode, initiating self-test check and cryogenesis systems. The virtual intelligence ordered a scan of the interior spaces of the mining machine, waiting for the long seconds for the system to interlock the equipment to ensure that there was no communication leakage along any of the known spectrums that could be detected from the surface. Inside the orb bay, the virtual intelligences noticed a large mass of substance dummy. Files were loaded. Comparing usage of substance W to the approximate shape and size of the object, no data was returned. The VI ordered the mining machine to transmit all logs of sensor readings on the surface and downloaded the logs for all seismic disturbances for the last 3.2 years. In the last 289 hours, there has been a sudden uptick in seismic incidents. Initial seismic disturbances are synonymous with large ships landing of gatherer class of low. Within 1.2 hours, seismic disturbance synonymous with atomic weaponry has occurred. Error. Seismic data out of range. Approximately 222 hours ago, seismic events took place suggesting impacts registering in the megatons, far outstripped ease of use weapons. No secondary and tertiary signatures of standard high explosive munitions. Deploying atomic weapons of such a magnitude are outside the normal range. Approximately 148 hours ago, sustained seismic events strong enough to bounce from the core to cause aftershocks took place over the space of several seconds per blast. More data is required. Supervisor data needed. The VI ordered a cryogenic storage pod move from deep storage to cryogenic recovery bay. It was still 23.3 years until the next mandatory wake-up of supervisor-level organisms. Deep inside the hardened structure, robotic gantries and cradles were to life in the icy tube. Graspers removed a single pod, handing it off, where it was moved rapidly to cryogenic section. The first three cryothal systems were responding to self-tests with errors, so the pod was moved to the fourth. Self-test of the organism inside showed that some of the cellular crystallization had occurred. The organism was beyond medical repair and was flushed into the reclaimer. It took two more tests until the cryopod passed the self-tests and the thawing process began. A malfunction occurred during the thawing, roasting the organism inside. The remains were dumped in the reclaimer. The VI was slightly concerned that less than 25% of the original long-term crew were left. It thawed out several biological maintenance technicians and set them to work examining the cryosystem. Less than 2.12 hours into their maintenance cycle, all biological maintenance technicians no longer responded to orders. A mid-level supervisor was found and successfully thawed. Less than one hour after thawing, the mid-level supervisor ceased responding to orders. A high-level supervisor was decanted and dissolved into a puddle of perotoplasm, the cellular walls collapsing as cells and nucleus failed. The VI began to suffer the electronic equivalent of worry. After two more tries, the fourth high-level supervisor was successfully revived. The VI noted again that this particular high-level supervisor had warnings attached to its smile, but as the warnings contained no code that the VI could pass, it ignored them. It had the supervisor moved to the armored command center and injected with warmed ichor. Once brain waves moved into normal patterns, the VI sent awake commands to the high-level supervisor and began transmitting urgent data requests. 
Godaxon blinked as the system shot them to wakefulness, sitting in the facility command chair. The command center was still dark, even the monitors dark. For a moment, he wasn't sure where it was. Opening and closing their kite and eye covers and sensing the area around them with a physical sensitive antenna. I'm still alive, thought. What have I done to deserve such a fate? He gave the equivalent of a groan when it remembered that the command center was physically shielded. And why? Urgent status reports are waiting your examination, the B.I. stated. Oh no, a rock got caught in a gear and now I am being woken up into this endless torment, it thought. System... Uh, how long since last awareness period? Cordexon asked. The data is locked out by orders of the facility commander, the VI responded. Cordexon groaned and shuddered as the memories flowed through it. The Lanark to Lan autonomous war machines attacking the planet, the near panic flight to the shelters, the silence of the planet as the dust settled and the war machines left. The Hive Queen's orders for the deep level mining crews to refit the station for automatic and to go into cryosleep until rescue was mounted. They're never coming, the thought to itself. The galactic arm is nothing but more rock and laughing isotopes in the stellar winds. The Crooked Attack Empire dies here. As each cryostasis system fails, one by one, dies in darkness and silence. System, how long has this facility been under emergency system protocols? Crodexum asked. By orders of the facility commander, that data is restricted for morale purposes, the B.I. answered. It sighed to itself. I wish this tortured existence was over, but I do not wish to throw myself into the reclaimers, it thought. How long must we go on? How long will it be until I can leave this accursed facility, it thought. What does it matter what precious resources we gather if there's no being left to enjoy them? It could remember the last time a group was sent to the surface. Servitors, and one of the last speakers. They remembered their screams of agony and the long, terrible silence afterwards. They remembered what came afterwards. There are urgent situation reports that must be, the VI stated. System, silent for one hour, it said. I wish I had a home to go back to, it thought. It remembered the footage of the hive home that it was hatched in, burning as autonomous war machines of the Actrina rained orbital fire down of the orderly fields and ranches and food corrals of the Raviantuk. How the planet had been reduced to nothing more than bare rock, radioactive dust, and the thin wisps of atmosphere. I wish I'd been killed there, it thought, then flinched before the emptiness inside of him, reminded him that there was nobody else there. I wish I'd been killed before now. Two green servitor cars entered the control room, moving to panels and began repairing and powering the systems. Both of them had a slightly powdery look to the servitor cast that had recently left cryostasis, and both of them moved slowly, almost painfully. Codexon watched silently, antenna trembling nervously. What is it like for them? They live only a scant few decades, slaving away at keeping our empire's technology moving. Are they aware? It is said that they are largely non-sentient, that they must be ordered and calmed by the hive mind. But is it true? Gordexon wondered. One stumbled and the other rushed over, combing the one that stumbled's antenna. It shows more care and concern for its fellow servitor than any have shown me. It looked at the two of them. Come here, little ones, Gordexon sent. The two green servitors put away their tools and jerkily moved over to it. It lifted them up, cradling them in its hands. Can you hear me? Are you in there? Are you really just mindless drones? Or can you talk? Do you think? It waited, petting them with blade on, soothing them with its touch and mind. Please, talk to me. Please, just one word. It has been so long. The two green ones were silent. A slight anxiety building that they had not finished the task the computer's psychic array was demanding that they perform. Go, little ones, it sent, bending down and placing them on the floor. System, Codexon said. System, to my display urgent reports. It swiveled the screen in front of him. The color shift was off and the upper right of the hexagon and pixels were dead, but it was able to read. Atomic detonations, plasma munitions, Focused and directed nuclear blasts. 
Codex froze to what he was seeing. Atlantic to learn combat machines. The sky god. The sky was blue that meant water vapor. Codexon spotted a flash of color and stopped the recording, backtracking a few frames. It zoomed in on a flash of color, magnifying it. The image was grainy, heavily pixelated, but the mantid knew what it was seeing. Plants. Different than I remember, but plants on the surface, it thought. Black, dark awareness settled on it. How long? How long have we slumbered in this terrible place where only work that no longer matters is carried out? Life beneath the sun again. We have slept away eternity down here, that thought. It huddled up into itself, watching the little green ones work. I wish that you could talk to me. The VI noted that the high-level supervisor was no longer responding to requests. Had silenced it, like the mid-level supervisor. Video logs of the mining machine's brief service excursion sat on the monitor. The supervisor staring at the image. The VI checked the rankings of those in storage. The supreme supervisors were all gone. The grand supervisors were gone. There was one other high-level supervisor that outranked the currently inoperative one. The VI began unthawing it. They would move it into the secondary command center, 281. The electrostimulus woke Kakeka with a jerk. The massive mantid shuddered as the internal organs, still feeling ice cold, were flooded with warm ichor. It reached out for a stabilizing influence of others of its type for those above it, and found nothing but emptiness. A deep black gulf of silence. Oh, yeah, it thought to itself, huddling down and shivering. I live on payment for my treachery. System, how long since the last period of activity? It asked, coughing to clear the slime of cryofluid from its abdomen. The data is restricted by order of the facility commander, the VI said. There is no facility commander. You hunk of metal and molly sucks, transfer all authority to me, Kalekaka ordered. Cannot comply. Message is as follows. I entomb you here, faithless ones. Till the sun burns this planet away, you shall be entombed in darkness. End message. Do you wish to view the current emergency logs? The B.I. felt nothing about the message. Kalekaka reached out again, finding nothing more than the heavy psychic shielding around the command center, which was dark and cold. Knights, they ordered, cannot comply, the B.I. said. It stated the message again. Move thermostat to the standard living setting, Kalekaka tried. Cannot comply, message is as follows. The B.I. repeated this message again. Kalekaka shivered, cold enough to be uncomfortable, not cold enough to be existence-threatening. Three green servitors moved in, repairing the damage time had done to the consoles. Kalekaka watched them move, how they were slightly jerky from cryosleep, how they worked together, touching one another, sometimes touching antennae. Oh, to be you. No thought, just purpose, Kalekaka thought. System unlocked the doors of the command center, they tried. Again, the computer refused to comply. Kalekaka lifted one blade arm, thick, long, razor-sharp, and serrated, capable of ripping through Lanak-Talan armor or a Trikna psychic shielding with ease, capable of tearing through the armor and defenses of any living thing the massive Kalekaka encountered. For a moment, it started to remember the way his blade arms had slid past the chitin armor, deep into organ spaces. It pushed the memory away, but not before the blade arm was wreathed in a silvery-purple nimbus of psychic energy. The void is preferable to being woken again, it thought. It touched under its jaws on the tip of the psychic blade. The psychic energy tingled, peeled away a small slice of chitin. It only took one shove. The VI saw the high-level supervisor's vitals go critical. It quickly pulled and command chair into the system, moving a high-level supervisor to medical systems. The supervisor's brain was damaged, but not irreparably so. Medical systems opened up the chitin head, the thick nerve mat around the brain, and began repairing the damage of the brain itself. Within minutes, the damage had been repaired, and the medical systems began putting high-level supervisor's head back together. The damage had been life-threatening but in reality it was a fairly minor and easy to repair. 
The VI sent a high-level supervisor back to the command chair, moving the command chair to the command station. It sent wake-up commands. Galekika woke, its head aching. No! Not again! A bracketta unfolded itself from where it had huddled up in the command chair. Monitors glowed with a dull light displaying the facility's data. The screen next to it had paused video that showed waving grass and trees. A bracketta had been staring at that screen for hours. To feel the grass against my footpads, to feel the sun on my chitin, it thought to itself. Lights, it tried. Cannot comply, facility commander lockout, messages as follows, the VI answered. Abraketa turned and looked at the grass again. It remembered being young, running through the grass, chasing food with others of its caste. They fear they felt as I pursued them, that deep resignation when I caught them. Was it like that what I feel now? No slavering jaws, no glittering blade arms. No, not for me. Just this darkness. Eternal. Unending, it thought. Inside, where there was normally purpose and warmth of the hive mind, there was only silence and darkness. A cold feeling that it had tried to remove with blade arms, cutting tools, and at once a blast arrival. My carapace isn't even marred, it thought. It could remember putting a barrel of the blast rifle against its chest, using the tip of the blade arm to press the firing stud. The high-pitched screech of the blast rifle, the thwack of the impact, the feeling of pressure released. And waking back up in the command cradle, as if nothing had happened. Except I am no longer armed. What happened to my trusty rifle, and that took the lives of so many Lanictalan and Trina? Was it dumped in a reclaimer, hidden in a storeroom, thrown into a volcano? It wondered. There are priority logs to be reviewed. Would you like to continue viewing them? The B.I. asked. Kill me! Abrikita ordered. Cannot comply, messages as follows, the B.I. said. Abrikita curled back into a ball of misery. There are priority logs remaining to be reviewed. Would you like to continue to review them? A small green servitor moved along the tiny catwalk and Abrikita watched it. Please, talk to me. Kodaxon watched the logs as they played through. The deep mining machine had been on the surface for nearly an hour before diving back into the planet's bedrock again. He paused the recording repeatedly, examining them. Enemy tanks, driven by Lanark to land, were easily spotted. There were different ones. They did not use plasma or particle projection weapons. Instead, they fired kinetic munitions, focused nuclear detonations, missiles, rockets, mortars. The mining machine sensors were crude, calibrated to move beneath the surface of the planet so it did not have a clear data. But Kudaxon could see the unusual tanks fielding battle screens that were so thick that they belonged on combat spacecraft. It paused on the power armors. It had found two, both types piloted by bipeds. Do you think, uh, do you talk to one another? Do you touch one another? Kudaxon wondered, feeling the dark silence inside him keenly. Do you stand in the sun and lift your face so that you can feel the warmth? I would willingly die at your hands to hear you cry out a battle cry as you did so, Kadexan thought to itself. I would gladly submit even if you only touch me long enough to rend me apart with your bare manipulators. System, Kodexan stated. Awaiting input, the system said. Is there a surface data to review? Kodexan asked. Negative. As per facilities commander's orders, no surface contact was allowed prior to mining autonomous machine 78462 being forced to the surface due to nearby atomic detonations, the system told it. Open outside channel or camera, Kodexon tried. Facility is on lockdown as per facility commander's orders. Message is as follows. The VI dutifully repeated the message that it had for the endless past. Kodexon went back to reviewing the message. It suddenly stopped. The dolls leaping into the mining machine's command center, which had been fully automated at a point in the past, had been forced open. Once 2.3 hours after the machine submerged, another time only two hours ago. System, show me the facility log for door access, Codex had said. Cannot comply. Data lock out full station by order of facility commander. Message is as follows. The VI recited the message again. They're inside. Not the land to land. The bipeds. 
Godexon looked at the door and the bead of world glittering in the dim light provided by the monitors. It felt something it had not felt in an endless time. Hope and anticipation. Please, come in. Kill me. Look at the door, Alex said when the platoon came around the corner. Vuxton stared. The door frame was blackened with shiny sections. The door itself had obviously been repaired and then welded shut. He checked his map. They had been forced to backtrack repeatedly, slowly working their way up and towards the center. Get it open, Buxton said. He activated the platoon command channel. Reflex triggers on, men. Anything faster than Casey or Timberluck gets shot in the face. Private First Class Tumluck had reflexes so fast, even in armor, that many of the Talcum Marines felt that they boarded on Supernatural. Buxton watched as Casey slowly cut open the control panel. Well, that's new. Casey said, moving to the side. Vuxton looked at the space past the cover plate. It should have contained simple wiring for a blade arm rock or a switch to open the door. Instead, the internal casing was blackened and damaged. Metal droplets where the metal had been turned to liquid and rehardened. Wires bypassed the controls. Cut it open, Addix asked, looking at Vuxton. Vuxton had been dreading this moment. They'd been moving through the facility and using the door controls to open the doors. Cutting open the door meant that the facility would notice it immediately. Do it! Roger that, sir, Casey said, setting to work with his fusion torch. It took only a few minutes, the endosteel on the door cutting like soft butter before a hot knife. Addicts used a suction pad Casey handed him to pull the door out of the way, leaning against the wall. Um, I don't think that's standard, sir, Addicts said when the platoon shoulder lights illuminated the hallway beyond. The wall panels were pitted, scored, grated, blackened, and covered in beads where liquid metal had hardened after being splattered against the wall. There were multiple blast patterns on the floor. You think they killed each other after this place is just running on automatic? Lance Corporal Zevrick asked. Possibly, Lieutenant Pudick said. No way! The little greeny leg we found smashed between those two pieces of equipment had only been there for a couple of centuries, Alex said. There is computerized automatic, and then there's mounted automatic, Casey said slowly. The platoon moved slowly down the hallway, keeping their spacing up, looking at the walls and ceiling. Dead camera, Addict said, pointing it out. It all stains according to my buddy, Private Heckermatt said, pointing at the discolored mark on the wall. The hallway, T intersectioned at a larger one. That is, Addict said. Head towards the center, Blunuk said, as after glancing at Vuxton, who stayed silent. Wish we could use mapping seeds, Private Druton muttered. The dolls at the end of the hallway were missing, the hallway opening up into a massive space. Halt, Vuxton ordered, at a good ten meters from the door. He thought for a moment. Casey, Druton, Vintra, five steps in. I want feed from your cameras to Lieutenant Blunuk, Sergeant Addix, and myself. Roger that, sir, Druton said, moving up. Buxton didn't say anything as Casey reached out and grabbed the minigun, bringing it up and into play. The smart harness hiffed softly, compensating for the weight of the gun, the ammo, and the creation engine. Buxton watched three fields of view as the troops moved in. They passed the doorway, kicking in their light enhancement. The floor was covered with ancient debris, stains, craters, and blast marks. Buxton was watching Casey's speed as the human looked up, Chromian St. Peter, Buxton yelled, his hands putting his rifle into play as he slammed the platoon's psychic shielding to maximum. Casey's minigun opened up. End of chapter. Chapter 403. Kodaxon held down the trigger of his blaster rifle, the plasma packets hammering into the Lanakalan autonomous combat drone, sending it staggering. Shift two degrees, more drones incoming, echoed in his mind, orders from a nearby speaker. We need extract, he sent back. Extract is coming. The planetary sub-queen is still at the mining center, the speaker said. We have orders to withdraw to the automated mining facility and guard her personage. As it should be, Godaxon thought back. He kept firing, backing up, even as the flash lit up the sky. Another orbital strike. And he could feel the screaming deaths of twelve million manted as a metropolis was blotted off the map. But damned old programmers, scientists and engineers he thought to himself as his rifle shattered another combat drone. He kept backing up, the half-dozen little black servitors with him firing rockets and adding their string rifles to their firepower. 
He'd lost three quarters of them so far, but he'd managed to force the combat drones out of the bunker. He took a hit, a particle beam smashing into his leg, the transfer of energy causing his armor to crack and spall outwards, but the inner lining held. Another flash, the swan accompanied by a huge cloud of steam. Extract is almost here. Retreat to the evacuation bay. The sub-queen commands it, the speaker said. What about the hive queen? Kodaxon asked. One of his little black gunnery assistants exploded and Kodaxon took revenge by hammering open the combat drone's armor and blasting apart the internals with his blaster rifle. She, in her majesty, has already been evacuated. She calls for her people to her, the speaker transmitted. Kodaxon stabbed outwards with the blade arm, transfixing the aerial drone and spiked psychic energy down his blade arm, shattering the drone. In the mining facility, Kodaxon asked, it is deep enough that not even the orbital strikes can reach it. The Hive Queen believes that the site is unknown to the land machines and believes that we will be safe, the speaker said. I hope she's right, Kodaxon answered. He felt the speaker's disapproval, but Kodaxon was a warrior caste and was allowed to question orders. He was mantled, part of a hive mind, not a herd creature like the Lanakla, or a shared consciousness like the Atrechna. Perform your duty, retreat, the speaker ordered. Kodaxon felt anxiety build up as he suddenly scuttled forward, grabbing an explosive charge off of his abdomen harness and throwing it into the room. He immediately scuttled back, ordering his combat drones to follow. One fired a missile through the door into the ceiling, collapsing it. We retreat time and time again. We retreat in the face of those huge machines, Kodexon thought. But damned whoever created them, no matter what their purpose, for all they do now is destroy. Kodexon followed the other warriors into the antechamber, staring at the vast bulk of the Hive Queen and the five sub-queens. The Hive Mind was thick in the antechamber, almost visible. He still had a small russet mantis on his abdomen, working on the carapace over his back where he'd taken two Lanaktalan autonomous combat drone hits to the back, but he no longer leaked ichor and vital fluids. The Hive Queen reached out and touched every mind present. They felt her conscience and surety infill them. The knowledge that despite the fact that the Lanaktalan autonomous war machines were destroying everything on the surface, the Empire would live on in them, safe beneath the large concentration of mountains where the continental mountain ranges all met. The engineer servitor class were currently engaged in ensuring that there would be enough room for all, enough food for all. Once the Lanaktalan war machines left, the soldiers of the Empire would take back the surface. Godexon held a small part of him back. It wasn't the first planet that he'd been on that had been hit. He knew then, at that moment, that the Hive Queen had no idea just what the Lorms would do, that they'd boil away the oceans if given the chance. Nothing but blasted rock and ash would be left. But he could not protest, could not tell her. Her mind overwhelmed the majority of his. He could not share with her the images of the worlds that he'd seen blotted out by orbital fire, reduced to nothing more than bare rock with thin wisps of atmosphere wafting over the radioactive stone. He could not tell her or show her what he had witnessed as world after world fell to the Lanaktalan and the Ektrekna automated spaceships, as populations were slaughtered by machines on a world after world. The four black gunnery servitors shifted slightly, uncomfortable, feeling anxiety as a part of Cordexon's mind that gave the orders to them was slightly out of sync with the touch of the Hive Queen. But her presence soothed them and they settled down. The Hive Queen, powerful and confident, let all present, all in the vicinity, know that the situation was within her control, that the Lanaktalan autonomous war machines would soon leave and her faithful servants would retake the planet for glory of the Empire. Kodaxon knew that it wasn't true, but he could not say anything. The Hive Queen was master of all. Godaxon felt the Hive Queen's touch, waking him up from a rest period. The touch linked him to his mind to one of the speakers and a dozen warriors and nearly a hundred servitors with him. Godaxon could feel the movement of the mining machine as it breached the surface. The Hive Queen and the Sub-Queens oozed satisfaction, knowing that there had been no seismic impacts on the surface for over a month. 
that the warriors had been rearmed and healed from the harsh combat that had preceded the sub-queens and the hive queens escaping to the mining vicinity. The sub-queens felt the most anticipation, the most satisfaction, their will to return to the surface, gather any remaining food and put them in false breeding to quickly get their numbers up was about to be made manifest. Their will would once again be defined reality. They knew that food species had to have survived, and as long as there was a handful, then food stocks could be rebuilt. The sub-queens hungered for more than nutri-paste and synthetic meat. The longed, craved, for devouring and pain and agony and defeat of the food species. The speaker delayed exiting the vehicle after its surface, ordering the engineer class to take the readings of the surface before exiting the mining vicinity. The sub-queen joined their will with the hive queen and forced anxiety into the mind of the speaker, driving him out of the mining machine and cancelling his orders to the engineer drones. The speaker ordered his followers out of the mining machine with him. Gordaxon, like the rest of the vicinity, saw what the speaker saw. The harsh glimmer of the stars, the interaction of solar winds and tides and the magnetic fields of the planet causing ribbons of light to appear in the sky. The vacuum was not total. There was nearly a tenth of normal atmosphere, but it was full and fine dust and isotopes. Godaxon was a warrior cast, and he was not removed from the shared hive mind as the two sub-queens reacted with rage as they realized that there wouldn't be no return to the surface. The speaker screeched in agony as the sub-queen's range of being denied what they so desperately wanted crashed down on him. Most of the mantid within the facility were servitors and were ejected from the hive mind by the rage. Gadexon was a warrior class. The sub-queens and the hive queen kept him locked into the hive mind as they overwhelmed the speaker. The speaker and his warrior attendants screamed in agony and anxiety peaked in their minds as their limbic system overloaded and they began to die. The sub-queens lashed at the speaker and warriors, taking their fury out by killing them as if they had denied the command of the queen's will. Codexon was frozen in place, his mind locked as he witnessed the deaths of one of the last speakers. The speaker that had overseen his actions as he had fought to keep the sub-queen alive until extract. Godaxon knew that only the fact that he had been in his authorized rest period had saved his life. He kept that knowledge hidden in a small part of his mind that allowed him to make independent decisions during combat. Godaxon had grown to hate the feeling that had come over him when he boarded the mining machine on the trip to the surface. A small contingent of engineer servitors had managed to survive the attack, quickly converting a repair facility to a hardened bunker. They also had with them a dozen slave species from a starship that had landed nearby, crippled by Lanarkland autonomous war machines. The sub-queen and the hive-queen, who had named herself Overqueen, wanted the servitor drones and the food species to be brought back to the mining facility. Connexon agreed with the plan. A starship crew would be highly useful, especially if they had starship engineers with them. The mining facility processed rare earths and could be repurposed to process much more. Godexon had realized the chances that the facility could be refit to create a spaceship to get everyone off the ball of radioactive rock and found it to be quite good. He had shared his thoughts with the sub-queens when they had reached out to his mind and they had soothed him that he had not stepped out of line. Whatever happened would be for the good of the Empire and the remaining hive. Godexon knew this. The mining vessel came to a stop. Codexon waited. He was to merely wait until the servitor cast and the space crew boarded. He was only armed and present in case a wandering lorm combat machine found them. The small part of his mind was worried. Something didn't feel right. Codexon escorted the Malgraken down the hallway, a trained spaceship engine engineer. It was an expert in the ancient jump drives that were now the only way to perform faster than night travel. The Mulgraken had been led by its captain to the hardened shelters of the repair facility. Then it had helped the servitor engineers build hardened shelters, the whole while figuring out exactly what they would need to acquire to get the repair facility to repair and rebuild the spaceship. Godaxon knew that everything they needed was in the mining facility. 
Free. Almost free. A month or a little more to repair the ship, and we can send for relief. Escape. The only enough room in the ship for a speaker, and two in addition to the crew. But they can lead back more of our people to rescue us. Good accent thought, analyzing the situation quickly. They entered the massive chamber, formerly used to repair the largest of the deep-crust mining machines. The Codexon felt his mind soothed by the touch of the Sub-Queen and the Hive Queen. They were massive. The Sub-Queens were ten times the size of Codexon, but was larger than even than a speaker. The Hive, the Overqueen, was twice as large as the Sub-Queens. They had allowed themselves to grow massive attached to the walls and gantries that had been built around them. The Hive Queen. The Overqueen's eggs-laying organs were nearly complete, being shaped and guided by the russet healing servitors. All of the queens present were swollen with eggs, their bodies distended and distorted. Once the Overqueen began laying, the sub-queens would be hooked into the birthing system. Their own eggs added to the Overqueen's and bathed in her chemicals at echo. It is the Malkraken. One sub-queen said. Kordaxon wasn't sure which one, broadcast into Kordaxon's mind. Yes, a ship's engineer, keeping a courier ship for the Empire in working condition. An expert in the ancient technology of jump drives, Kordaxon answered. Come here, what did the sub-queens order? The Malgraken staggered forward. We are fortunate indeed that he survived, Kordaxon told the queens. With his knowledge, we can build and replace the jump drive engines that the ship the crewed and... The sub-queen reached out, grabbing the Malgraken in her long arms. The Malgraken screamed as he was lifted into the air. Kordaxon's thoughts were shattered by the sudden hunger from the queens around him. He felt them overwhelm the Malgraken's mind, pushing the terror and fear as high as possible, feasting on the Malgraken's terror. The sub-queen's massive jaws closed with a crunch on the Malgraken's head, crushing the skull, ripping the head from the thick neck. Blood sprayed out in glittering arc that splashed Kordaxon's black chitoned combat servitors, all of whom were trembling in the pleasure radiating off the queens as they fed on the terror and fear. The sub-queen dropped the body to the ground, where it landed on the endosteel floor with a wet thud. Kordaxon felt his mind released as the sub-queens and the over-queen all trembled in satisfaction. I needed him! We needed him! Godaxon thought, outraged. We needed him to create the engine so that we can escape! The queens all turned their heads to look at him. You needs are trifling compared to our ones, the queens stated. How many are left? The answer was forced out of him. Eleven more. Bring them, one at a time, the queens ordered. We need them! We need them to rebuild the ship so we can escape! Kordaxon said. You and the others will devise another way to escape, the queen said, brushing off his protests. Your needs are trivial to our wants. Go! Bring him! Kordaxon had no choice. He brought them. One by one. Our wants supersede your needs. Buxton was looking through the feed from Casey's visor when the human looked up, following a large dark object at the side of the wall. There were twisted and damaged gantries, dust-created cobwebs along them, thick extrusions of biomatter were in cables and sheaths, cradling the supporting and massive things on the walls. Casey suddenly tightened his grip on the firing of his minigun, the barrels rapidly spinning up to speed. Buxton wasn't quite sure what he was seeing as Casey lifted the gun. His visor and combat implant showing data that Buxton filed away almost automatically. Buxton realized what case he was seeing at the exact moment that the big human began firing. A massive mantid hung from the wall, head down, the carapace long empty of any organs or fluids, just a massive statue of chitin, an exoskeleton. Casey's many guns, packing heap rounds, one tracer for every five heap rounds, with a ball of API mixed in. It shredded the massive chest of the hanging mantid as Buxton's mouth started working. Druton and Vintra rolled to the side, taking cover behind a large object. Druton fired his rifle, the round sparking off the thick chitin of the massive mantid all the way on the right. Vintra 
emptied his grenade launcher in a ripping burst even as he broke cover, sprinting across the room, sliding to a stop behind a fallen gantry. He fired his rifle as he ran, the round sparking off the chest of one of the hanging mantids. By Chromium St. Peter, Buxton yelled, something primal, ancient, kicking on his brain. He lifted his rifle to his shoulder and started to enter the room, entering on backing the three troops up before the queen could rip them apart. Instead, Casey suddenly let off the trigger. No threat, he yelled. Cease fire! The bellow cut through Vuxton's spinal reflex terror, as well as stopping Druton and Vintra mid-stride as they switched cover. Holy digital omnibusire, Casey said softly. His hands left the firing grip and touched his forehead, chest, and left shoulder, right shoulder, and he spoke. Move in, safety's on, Vuxton said. I about shat myself, Addox said over the command channel. Vuxton turned on his external lights, including his helmet lights, panning around the huge room. There was ancient mantid exoskeletons and chitin everywhere. Ancient, to the point that no fluids remained, only stains on the endosteel floor. Buxton saw ancient weapons in the hands of many of them. Around each of the massive ones was a semicircle pile of tangled chitin exoskeletons. This is new, Alex said. He looked over to where Casey was kneeling down next to one of the piles. He lifted a mantid skull that was so large that it could have only come from a warrior. What are they doing, Sergeant? Look at this, Casey said, turning the headlamp and shining it on the skull as he turned it. Chitin plates are ruptured outwards. Buxton looked up, increasing the magnification on his visor. He looked at the chests of the huge mantids hanging from the walls. There was a long rinse in the thick chitin, some of them all the way through to the emptiness that had once contained vital organs. They uh, killed each other, Buxton said softly. He looked around. What the hell happened? Codexon reached out to the Overqueen, the part of his mind that handled battle tactics, but he shielded. No queen. We have detected a ship landing on the surface, a food species. Their engine is disabled, but uh, there are many of them, Codexon said. He felt the hunger and desire of the queens who had been eating Nutri-Paste for months. The only available mining machine to transfer enough warriors, speakers, and servitors is docking on a passage connected to your chamber, he said. How many? One of the sub-queens asked. We will need most of the warriors and speakers. There are many, and they are armed, Codexon said. No, you fool. How many of the food species? All of the queens asked at once. He felt pain lance up through him at their anger. It's a warship. Troop transport. Nearly ten thousand, he sent back. He could taste, could feel the queen's hunger. Send them! Send them now! Take as many as possible alive, the queen said. The small part of him that handled battlefield tactics kept silent and still. May I open the door? Good Axel asked. Allow the troops through the chamber. Hurry up, you fool! What are the queens ordered? Godaxon felt pain near down his nervous system, down his main spinal cord. You must activate the facility's computer psychic arrays to keep the servitors calm, her queens, he said. He felt the tingling as the overqueen activated the psychic systems. He reached out for the overspeaker. They are allowing me to open the door. You'll be able to carry out your mission, he said. Understood. For the good of the hive, for the empire. The overspeaker answered with a small part of his brain that only communicated with the worry cast. Codexon opened the door to the Overqueen's birthing chamber. The whole plan came apart. Buxton looked around, banning his suit lights over the massive chamber full of long-dead mantid that he had only seen in the documentaries and memories pushed into his mind by crazed psychics of the Imperial Marines. Whatever happened here, we missed it. Buxton answered his own question. End of chapter. Chapter 404. General Nudruk had been a staff officer in the Confederate military for decades. He had started his staff officer career as one of the star general in charge of the 4313 Infantry Hall and slowly climbed the ranks. He'd been given the opportunity to serve as a commander of the Smoky Cone Defensive Forces or taking command of the V Corps and shot a commanding 7th Army at a later date. He had, of course, taken V Corps, an old blood unit with prestigious, 
but also had mathematically measurable chance of being dropped into the fire. Chaos theory mathematics could account for why once the phasic energy formula were added. While holding the command was a pleasure, V-Core had a tendency to, uh, well, uh, roll hot. Which is why he was nibbling at the tip of his blade off as he stared at the holotank. He was not worried about the mop-up of the precursor machines. Trucker, a Cretan, a armorer had the wall in hand, and he knew that they would all operate best if he merely observed from a distance. No. It was a single icon. First Tarkin Marine Corps, HHQ Battalion, HHG First Platoon. Of course, having Casey's icon attached just made it worse. I have a Tarkin who ignited a volcano that emits pure molten wall steel, no drug thought, staring at a tank as he slowly packed his cigarette. To top it off, I have got a human who is not only capable of detonating antimatter-enhanced atomic weapons in a civilian-populated area, but has shown his willingness by doing so when he felt there was no other choice. He slowly opened the pack, using the gold winder thread to break the seal of the plastic. He carefully unwrapped the cellophane from the top as he stared. Sergeant Alex is much better. His platoon was cut off for two weeks during the Second Talcan War, and he got them all through it, superficially. It looks good, but in the end, they were all jacked up on stims to the point that they were sweating amphetamines, he thought to himself. And it wasn't the first time Alex was cut off. During the Skalkebeck Rebellion, he held together a patchwork force of miners, wildcutters, and logistics personnel for almost six months in a firebase that had been abandoned two decades prior until relief arrived. He opened the pack, slowly withdrawing one cigarette, turning it over, and sliding it back into the pack. The Talcons were pushed to the brink twice in less than a decade, and the two Terrans supporting them are both men with records that are worrisome apart and downright concerning together. No drunk thought. He slowly pulled the cigarette out, holding it to his mandibles as he put the pack away. Glory isn't as innocent as a wall steel chassis might suggest. During the Unverac 7 conflict, she body-swapped twice into a lobotomized Blolo chassis and held the moon for Kutanati virtually on her own, he thought. Three borderline redline cases with a Talcan infantry platoon beneath the surface of the planet in what can only be a manted precursor facility. He withdrew his lighter, slowly opening it, and struck the wheel. The flame was blue with yellow edging. Many of our allies believe that the Terran Confederacy believes in victory at all costs, when nothing could be further from the truth. There are members of our military that will go to any lengths necessary to survive and achieve victory. But we know well that the truth of victory lies in the proper application of false when necessary. No truck thought. He lit the cigarette, puffing on it several times to ensure that it was well lit. He felt the nicotine and other chemicals enter his system, bringing about a steady calm of his own pheromones where swept away. But we fight the precursors, who are hell-bent on exterminating all life to conserve resources that they believe only they may possess. He took another long drag, only peripherally aware of the Lanarktalan officer, Guillermo O, that was watching him. It is wars like this one that had battles where men like Casey and Addox and Glory shine, where historians point at logistics, or enemy mistakes, or other factors, and ignore that Sergeant Addix and his men ate rock dust, ran through a broken nanoforge for six months. No drag mused. General, one of the military intelligence and analysts armed with the four called up. Go ahead, No drag said. His voice steady and level, betraying none of his internal concern. Another data request from Sergeant Casey, the analyst said, as if it was the most banal thing in the world. I've cross-checked with the Imperium forces, and they have the deity that Casey is requesting. The drunk nodded, puffing out rings of smoke around his footpads. What data is he requesting? A first-mounted war-era linguistic codex, the analyst said. He consulted his screen. Intelligence estimates an 85.5% chance that the facility is a precursor-mounted facility, with a 12% chance of being occupied. Currently, the last estimation has jumped to 92% based on observational data transmitted to 108th Military Intelligence. Toss the request transmission up on my tank. Let me see. The drunk ordered, shuffling in place to turn and get a good look at the harder tank. A window opened up and no drunk could tell that it was being recorded from the internal cameras on Casey's face shield. Casey was in the upper right of the picture in a small window, while the rest of the window was panning over wreckage. Peek, Casey here, check this out. Manted bodies! The majority of them, the chitin exploded outwards, the man was saying, 
His face was sweaty, and the bottom of his eye patch glittered red. Check this out. The window focused on an object that made no truck hiss and back up two steps. Gaemo made a bellowing noise, inflating his crests. It was a massive speaker corpse. Well, the chitin that had hardened into resin like epoxy, like amber from a hundred million years prior. The brain case was ruptured, same with the compound eyes, the rupturing obviously occurring by increased pressure internally. The view paneled down to the body, showing that the thorax and abdomen had suffered rupturing in a line. That is the primary phasic spinal trunk, had to have been overloaded, Casey said. He took a swallow of water from a tube, then grinned. Wait till you see who by who. The view slowly moved upwards, and Odrak realized with shock what he was staring at was a manted queen's corpse, still hanging from the gantries and exuded biomatter. Her chest was slashed and punctured. Her head had huge rips in it. Both eyes were ripped from the sockets. She got ganked by her own people, babe. Hair and her others, Casey said. The view panned across, showing half a dozen massive shadowed forms, one substantially larger than the others. But don't mean this place is empty, babe. Casey took another hit of water and the view changed. Casey, moved. He knelt down, the angle changing to show a small green mantid running a welder along a pipe. Check him out, Casey said. Watch for a moment, Peek. I don't think he has happened since the mantid hit Earth. Casey's psychic shielding dropped to only 60%. The little green mantid suddenly stopped, shutting off the welder. It started to look around, the antennae lifting, its eyes seeking out the source of the disturbance. It made a click and a chitter. Now watch this, Peek. Casey said. He moved back quickly, the psychic shielding rising up to 125%. The little green man had stood still for a long moment, then the antennae drooped. It lifted the welder and began working again. Peek, babe, see if you can get the pre-war mantle lexicon. Use wire 12 zip compression so it doesn't take a week and I'm not running a couple more processors off my poor cracked nanoforge, Casey said. Got a feeling I'm gonna need it. The one-eyed human suddenly grinned. Glad things are going good, Topside. We'll get out of this, you'll see. Then we'll party like it's 1999. Stay safe, babe. No Drac thought over what he'd seen for a long moment. Transmit the lexicon as soon as you have it. Let's see how this pans out, Nodrak said. The room went silent except for the muttering of the intelligence analyst. He seems unusually upbeat and high morale for someone who is trapped behind, or rather, underneath enemy lines. GMO suddenly said, That is a statistical aberration that concerns me and makes me desire more data. It's not his first hyperjump, Nadrak said absently. GMO thought about what was said before, opening his mouth to protest that Casey was not engaged in a hyperjump, and realized that Nadrak was hyperjump as a metaphor for Casey having been behind enemy lines before. GMO was proud of his deductive reasoning. After all, he was the most observant commander. Nadruk felt a chill run down his lower and upper spine. All units not engaged with precursor elements are to pull back from the mountain range central hub by at least 200 miles. Alert any shelters in that area to prepare for heavy seismic activity, he ordered. He turned back to the holotank. Casey's one-eyed mug grinned back at him. Buxton watched Casey grin as he sat in the fallen gantry working on something involving the minigun without even watching his hands. So the kid, right? He goes to fifth grade since his dad is doing better now with a new job. He doesn't have to attend EVR classes and goes to a meat school. The kid does amazing. Top grades, really popular, wins some science awards, even has a girlfriend, even though he's too young to know what to do with her. Casey was saying as he pulled the ammunition belt from the minigun. Buxton nodded, caught up in the joke again. Casey had started it over, to remind everyone what was going on, and it had taken nearly half an hour to get to this point. The entire time, everyone was eating, drinking, and the little green battle buddies were huddled up to confront each other over the shock of seeing the dead queens. So the end of the year gets there, and the kid's like a rock star, star of the school play, everything. His father comes up and goes, My son! My beloved son! You have surpassed all I've asked of you and more. What can I give you that you feel will reward your gallant efforts? A trip to Mouseworld, a trip to Zaganau Beach, 
a trip to see where the Yamamoto was lifted from the seabed to add to the Black Fleet. And the kid, right, uh, the kid looks up, his face resolute, he says, A pink golf ball, father. That's all I wish, all I've worked so hard for. So the father, right, he figures, well, the kid is consistent if nothing else, and he gets him the golf ball. Buxton saw the light blinking of the little device Casey had on the thigh, and his armored loading frame go from yellow, flashing LEDs, to a solid green. Your thing about Bob is done, Buxton said. Hell yeah, peak comes through again, Casey said, his grin getting wider. God damn, that girl is too good for me. Buxton watched as he plugged the data cable into the text followed by an visor. Backwards, from Buxton's point of view, Okay, she forwarded us the lexicon, two types, Imperial Republic and Combined Kovaxes, as well as the Manted Civil War lexicons, Casey said. Catch! The big human waved an armored hand at Buxton's armor, automatically accepting the download. Even got the stuff for the Kareenies to talk to their brothers, Casey said. He tapped on the side of his helmet and his visor went dark. He reached round, grabbed the ammo belt, and snapped the last round into the chamber. We're good to go, sir, he said, thumbing the self-check stud on the weapon. It came back green. Buxton turned to Addix and PFC Thorell. He's still there. Addix didn't move, holding still. A little green mantid was standing on his helmet, working on a wire Casey had cut above Addix's head. Yes, sir, Thorell said. Looks like he's getting a patch done. 471, are you guys all right? Buxton asked. Shielded and ready, 471 answered. Got the lexicon loaded, Buxton asked. Roger, roger, 471 answered. Buxton triggered the lexicon, watching his armor's computer's system bog down slightly until the computer add-ons that Casey had fabbed up and put in between the phasic disruptors took over. Awaiting input, his suit stated. All right, Sergeant, like we said, Buxton ordered. Dropping phasic shielding by 1% every two seconds, Alex said. Buxton caught himself holding his breath as the little green mantid kept working. And a 100% load, Addict said, keeping the orc systems on standby. More seconds passed. The little green mantid suddenly paused, its antennae lifting, trembling, as it turned its head to feel the air around it. Right there, Buxton said. 62% load, Addict said. Buxton moved up, leaning down. The little green mantid turned and looked at him. Take it easy, give it a moment, Buxton said softly. His suit speakers chirped and clinked. The mantid shivered and turn eye flicking as it looked around slowly, the hard chitin covers of its eyes spricking back and forth as it was trying to clear debris. Can you understand me? Buxton asked. The little mantid gave a few chirps and some clicks and Buxton saw the sine wave for psychic emissions begin to dance. Compensating, 471 transmitted. Barm will speak, old old old. Let us try again. Can you understand me? Buxton asked softly. Affirmative, the little green worker chirped. Re. If you stay right there, Buxton said. Re. The worker chirped again. It put its tools away slowly, carefully, as if it was made of fragile glass. Eek. Yes, you can speak. You can speak to me, Buxton said gently. Cold, the greenie said. It lowered its abdomen until it rested on top of Sergeant Addix's helmet. Warm here. I'm cold. It's warm. Stop work? Yes, Buxton said. He was sweating hard, his muscles trembling like he was engaged in combat, and he knew his anxiety monsters were peaking. Buxton looked closer. The little green manta had a powdery look to him, and he could see the veins were blue instead of a healthy brown color. He switched to Addix's channel. Turn up your internal heat a degree or two, he's called. Roger that, sir. I'll dump the nanoforge heat, Addix said. Is good, the little green mantid said after a moment. Buxton lifted his knife, where he had a small piece of meat that 471 had run off in the nanoforge on Casey's armor. Bood, Buxton said. The little greenie reached forth carefully, stabbing at the meat with his blade arms and bringing it up to his mouth. It began munching and paused. This real meat is good, it said. Turkey is delicious, Buxton said feeling slightly foolish at repeating Fall 71's comment. Oh, it asked. Buxton held out another strip of it, and the little greenie took it. Cannot hear others, it said. Only. Buxton switched channels. That's your cue, he told Fall 71. The other mantid moved out of the shelter, heavy psychic shielding on his helmet. It moved up, 
crawling quickly up Vuxton's armor to stand at his head. Oh, another, it little one said, and it hid the turkey strip behind its thorax. Buxton watched as the two started comparing mathematical formula rapidly, almost too fast for his suit's computers to keep up. Complex theorems and long formula that Buxton didn't even bother to try to cipher. If you let him go, he'll get smothered. He cannot think, cannot report anything but equipment and machine statuses, Paul 71 said over the translator. He says there's something called the phasic hive mind augment still running, still doing the job of the queens. Can he show us where it is, where the computer core is? Buxton asked. More formula. Yes, can show. More turkey, the little green one asked. Buxton handed him another piece of turkey. Well, right here is warm and cold, the greenie said. It pointed with the blade arm. Direction. He says the computer core and the phasing system is that way. We'll ask him more on the trip, Buxton said, standing up. Addix, he's going to ride in your head. As long as he doesn't start talking about pink golf balls, Addix grumbled. Manted Freeworlds. Did anyone else hear that? Nothing follows. Janet at Hiveworlds. Hear what? Nothing follows. Manted Freeworlds. I could have sworn I heard a tiny voice say that the turkey's delicious. It's probably nothing. I'm still stressed over the Lennox land have been doing with all those resources. Nothing follows. Janet at Hiveworlds. Well, the voice isn't wrong. Turkey is delicious. Nothing follows. Lebow Contemplation Pool. It very much is. Nothing follows. End of chapter. Just a quick shout out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Mezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astrea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.